0: Well, good morning to everyone at all of our campuses, whether you are joining us at our online campus, whether you happen to be down at our Fredericksburg campus or here in the room at our Stafford campus, it is a privilege and an honor to gather with you this morning. And if you are joining us for the first time today, uh, my name is Adam, if we haven't met, and I get the privilege and the honor of being the lead pastor here at the Mount. And I just wanna extend kind of a, a special welcome and say we are so glad that you chose to spend your Super Bowl, Sunday morning with us and then you're gonna go home later and watch the 49ers win but we're so glad you're here to to hang out with us yeah that's okay you can clap for that so uh, but hey if you are new I just want to encourage you and just say I hope that over the course of this morning during your experience here you get a chance to meet some of the staff and the volunteers and the people that call this place the mount their home and I think what you will find is is they are some of the most amazing people you have ever met, and they are what makes this place special. And so I hope you get to meet them. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is where we'll be. If you are using the Mount app, if you have the Mount app, you can find all of the scripture references there. You can find sermon notes and even a spot for you to to take your own notes, and you can email those notes to yourself to keep them for later if you're doing that. But if you are using a physical Bible, Colossians is where we'll be. And I know sometimes Colossians can be a little hard to find. And so, what I'll do is I'll kind of give you a little, little hint on finding it, right? And so, this is just a nugget of information for you. Once you get past the first four Gospels, remember this phrase, and this phrase will stick in your mind. Remember, RC Cola? No, God enjoys Pepsi Cola. And what you find is Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You'll remember that and you will always be able to find it. That's just a little bonus for you today. So uh, Colossians is where we'll be, chapter 1. And this morning uh, we are in the second week of a series titled Together. The second week of a series and a campaign, campaign titled Together. And if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe the first time in a couple of weeks, we launched last week this campaign called Together with some big, kind of exciting, vision, bold kind of initiatives or moves that we're going to be taking as a church over the next couple of years. And I would love for you to be brought up to speed. So if you would do me a favor, take a look at this video. The mount has never stood still. Ever since seven pioneers began this movement in 1907, we've been a church that hasn't settled. And with so much at stake, we don't plan on doing so anytime soon. From the very beginning, our DNA hasn't been to just watch. It has been to actively participate in what God is doing. And we believe it isn't by accident that we've come so far, but that we've been placed in one of the most influential areas in our entire nation. We believe that God has entrusted us with this position, with this moment, for a reason. All throughout scripture, wherever faith in God is present, the impossible is doable. That's not only the story of the Bible, but it's the legacy of our very church. For more than a century, the people of the Mount have faithfully sacrificed the first and the best of their resources to see God do the improbable. And we believe It's our time to step out in faith and make several key moves to advance his kingdom here in our region in this moment. As one of the fastest growing areas in the United States, there is a tremendous opportunity here in Northern Virginia to reach people who are far from Christ, as well as disciple and to send out faithful believers all to the ends of the earth. In a region where people can be skeptical of Christianity, we believe that the culture of the Mount is unique and the church experience that we offer speaks directly to the longing of every human heart. So in light of this, we are faithfully trusting that God will move through each and every one of us over the next three years as we seek to raise $7 million to invest in three strategic areas of Kingdom Impact. First, campus expansion. We believe that God is calling us to reach people in communities that do not have a church like the Mount, and our vision is over the next couple of years to plant three new campuses and multiple micro sites by the year 2030. Second, debt elimination. As a church, we currently carry around 1.3 million in debt, and we believe it is time to eliminate this debt and free up that money within our annual operating budget to enable us to make bold, kingdom-minded moves. And third, campus expansions and renovations our existing campuses are in need of physical and technological updates so that we are better equipped to to reach new people and to keep discipling the ones that already call the Mount their church home. And as stewards of this moment in the Mount's history, we have been entrusted with the responsibility and the honor of making a difference for one more in new neighborhoods and new communities all across our regional area. Our dream is that every single person who attends the mount would begin the spiritual journey of being stretched in how we think of the resources that God has given us. Will you join us in seeking the Lord? Will you join us in asking him how he might want you to live sacrificially so that you can partner with us in taking this bold step of faith? The flame that was lit so long ago by those that went before us has now reached us now what will we do with it will we settle or will we be reminded of our pioneer roots? as a church we believe that god is able to do more than we could ever hope or imagine or dream but we also believe that the impossible happens together And so last week, we kicked off this Together campaign, and one of the things we said, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to go back and watch it. we said that as a church, fundamentally, we believe that we thrive, the local church has thrived when it has been bold. And we said that we believe that the God that we serve is a God who loves to do the impossible. In fact, we looked at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, and it says this when Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, he says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us. Not our strategy, not our own plans, not a, but it's, it's God's power working within the local church and the people who make up the local church. You can accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And It continues because glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's basically saying, listen, God loves to do the impossible in and through the local church and the people who make up the local church, because when that happens, it doesn't bring the local church glory. It doesn't bring those people glory. When God does the impossible, it brings him glory and exalts him and makes him more famous in the world around him. And we see this all throughout scripture. We see story after story where God's people are up against what might be the improbable or the impossible, a wall or a river or, or an ocean, and God comes through and does something incredible so that his glory and his fame will be known. And so as we move through this campaign, I wanna let you know about a couple of resources that we have for all of you. First, if you are at one of our physical campuses, you got one of these on the seat when you came in today. And uh, let me just say, I... I can't express how excited I am for you to to look at this, to read through this, to hear some of the stories, and to see where our church has been and where we are going. Um, Just not right now, if you do me a favor, just maybe read it later, like, you know, when you get home or at lunch, and uh, yeah, just save it for something. If you're joining us online, obviously we don't have a physical copy for you, but if you scan that QR code that's at the bottom of the screen right now, you can get the uh, same digital booklet so that you can follow along with us as well, wherever you happen to be. And the second thing is, if you go to our website or if you scan in the back of the booklet, there's a page back there you can scan, and it'll take you to www.themount.org slash together. We have put together a 21-day prayer devotional that I would encourage you, I would love to invite you to participate with us as we spend the month of February kind of seeking the Lord and spending time reflecting on who he is and his goodness and what that means for us as we move through this campaign. And the third thing, I just have two more, the third thing is if you are not in a small group, I would love for you to be a part of one. Uh, Our small groups all throughout this month are taking the sermons that we talk about and they're unpacking them in more depth and they're able to to process them and apply them to their lives. And so if you're not in a small group, it's never too late. You can head to our website, you can head to our guest services desk, you can scan the QR code in front of you. There's, There's tons of ways. I'm sure the person next to you would tell you how to get in as well, but we would love to have you in a small group where you can process those. And the fourth thing and the last thing is this, like if you are here for the very first time, will you just do me a favor and take a deep breath? (sighs) Maybe you are here today and part of your story is that you have been hesitant to attend church or maybe you've been hurt in the past because in your mind, the church is really only out for your money. And then you walked in today and you saw on your, you know, your chair a little thing asking for $7 million. And you're like, see, this just affirms every one of my fears. I, I, I get it. I do. I, I do. And here's, here's what I want to tell you. Like this sermon series, this campaign, this, this idea of together is not just about financial resources. It's about our spiritual growth. It's about Jesus stretching the way we think about the things that he has for us. It's a, it's a sermon series about priority and surrender and sacrifice and vision. It's, and I hope what you see is if you are here maybe for a, a guest for the first couple times, as you move through this month with us, you would see that it's not necessarily just about finances, but it's about what God is doing in and through us as the local church. And we just want to be faithful and obedient to where we sense him guiding and leading us. And so in light of that, the the question I have for all of us this morning as we kind of get started is this question, and it's very simple. Is Jesus first in your life? Is Jesus first in your life? I'm not asking if he's important. I'm not asking if he is like just an important thing in your life, because if Jesus is important, you could say something like, well, Jesus is important. I'm here on the weekends. Jesus is important. I make sure that I talk to my kids about Jesus. Jesus is important to me. I make sure that I pray before I eat any of my meals. Jesus is important to me. I make sure that I read my Bible every single morning. I'm not asking if he is important. I'm asking if he is first. Is he first in your life? In Colossians chapter 1, Paul's writing to this, this church in Colossae. It's a city in modern-day Turkey. And it's, Colossae had a, a mix of kind of various cultures that were all kind of jumbled together. It was a very diverse and prosperous city. It was part of the the Roman Empire. And under Roman law, maybe you're familiar with this, but under Roman law, because of how they valued diversity, because of the known world at the time and how they encompassed so many different regions and cultures and places and ethnicities and races and all these things, the Roman law valued diversity to the extreme where they would say in a religious context, They had very specific guidelines or modes of operation or standard operating procedures that everyone had to follow, and it basically went something like this. You are free to worship any God you choose. Just don't say that your God is the only God. Why? because they believed in diversity and inclusiveness and making sure that everyone was taken care of in the region. So they said, you can worship any gods you want. You can pick and choose from the different places, but just don't say that your God is the only God because if you say your God is the only God, that can cause unrest and political turmoil and it can cause a war and we don't want to mess with that. So, and because of this, Colossae, like many of the other Roman cities, was filled with these shrines and temples and statues and idols to all sorts of gods. And the attitude of Colossae, the attitude of this city where this church was, the attitude of actually the entire region that it was around was this idea that just find a God that works for you. Like there's so many to choose from. Just, just find the one that works for you. Find the one that makes you feel good and fits into your existing life. The culture in Colossae seems to be very similar to the culture we live in today. We live in a culture where everyone has the right to their own unique worldview. We live in a culture where people are encouraged to to pick and choose from various religions and ideologies and philosophies and political bends, and you can kind of pick and choose, and you take those pieces that you want and don't want, and you, you form the worldview based on your experiences and your wishes and your wants, and ultimately, your worldview, the purpose of picking and choosing the things you want is to make you feel good about the way you live and the life you have so that you can continue doing what you've been doing and want to do and not feel guilt or shame or remorse or regret over any of those things all right like we live in a culture where you can say things like I like the tax policies of the Republican Party and the immigration policies of the Democratic Party and I like the Bible's view on loving my neighbor but I don't agree with what Jesus says about x y or z but I like the way this secular society says z is really good for this and so I'm gonna pick and choose the things I want because they make me feel good. And let me just kinda say, don't get me wrong, you have the right and the freedom to believe what you want to believe. But don't miss this. Your belief does not change the truth of Scripture. Don't miss that. Your, your belief does not change the truth of Scripture. God's not sitting up in heaven or wherever He happens to be right now and saying, you know what? They don't agree with what I wrote. Oh man, I should probably change it. No, no, He says, this is the truth. Your experience, your background, Your ideologies, your philosophies, all the different things that form your worldview do not change the truth of Scripture. And Paul talks about this in in 2 Timothy when he's writing to his apprentice named Timothy and he tells him this, he says this, he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In other words, Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, Timothy, listen, the Bible, he's reminding him that in a culture, because Timothy was also in these sort of cultures, in a culture where everyone is picking and choosing what they want and what makes them feel good. He is saying, Timothy, remember that the Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, God-breathed roadmap for not only knowing who God is but knowing who you are, and also it's the blueprint for forming the worldview that you make and think of every decision that you do every moment of your life. It is the blueprint and the base for everything that you do. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where many of us, even as professing Christians, have allowed the culture to shape our worldview more than the Bible shapes our worldview. And the same thing was happening in Colossae. And this is why Paul writes this letter to this church. These early Christians, what they were doing is they were basically worshiping Jesus and picking and choosing worldviews and things from other areas that they thought would complete what they might be missing. And in verse 15, Paul begins what I would say are six of the most, like, Christological verses in all of Scripture where Paul is giving the most clear definition of the supremacy of Christ that we see anywhere else in Scripture. And I just want to unpack these for a minute. And he begins in verse 15 of chapter 1, and he says this. He says, the Son, being Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God. I'm going to pause there for a second because we don't have time to really unpack this, but Paul wants the people in Colossae to know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means that he was made in the image of God, just like you and I. But a lot of times when we think of the image of God and his attributes and his characteristics, it is a very subjective thing based on who we are. We read in scripture that God is love. But the definition of love is based on how I perceive love, how you perceive love. It's based on our own subjective understanding of it. God is truth, God is just, God is merciful, and we determine what those words mean in our own mind. But what Paul is saying is saying Jesus is the invisible image of God, and Jesus shows up and when we are left wondering, what does it mean that God is love? What does God love? What does love look like? He says, "Look at Jesus." Look at how he lived. He modeled love. He modeled grace. He modeled truth. He modeled justice, and so on and so on. And then he says, He is the what? Say this with me, the. Firstborn. He's the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. What Paul is not saying here is that Jesus was the first to be born. What he is not saying is that Jesus was the first to be created. The word Paul uses here in the original Greek language that he would have wrote in can mean less about order and more about rank and status. In fact, the New Living Translation, I just want to show you another translation. It says it this way. It says, He existed before anything was created, and He is supreme over all creation. First born does not mean first born in order. He's not talking about order. He's referring to rank and status. In essence, what Paul is saying is he's saying, when it comes to things, Jesus is the priority. He is preeminent. He is before everything else. And this might seem minor, and we're going to come back to this, but I don't want you to miss this. Verse 16 continues when he says this. He says, "...for in him all things were created." He's going to tell you, like, because he's the firstborn, because he is preeminent in rank and status, and he's going to tell you what this means. It says, in him, all things were created. Not just some things. And just in case people are wondering, Paul's going to unpack what that means to have all things created. And he says, things in heaven and on earth. All of the the physical world, everything that exists in heaven and on earth, all the visible and the invisible, the things we see and don't see, whether it's a throne or a power or a ruler or authority, Christ is first in all of those things. He is the one that created them all. Why is he first in priority? Why is he first in rank and status? Why is he preeminent? Because he is the creator and ruler of everything. And then Paul continues in verse 16, the end of it, he says this, for all things have been what created? And what? He says all things have been created through him, and for him. What Paul is wanting the church in Colossae to understand is that Jesus is the firstborn. Everything that has ever existed was made by and through him. We see this in the beginning. If you go to Genesis, it says, in the beginning... The idea that God was just there. Jesus was not created. He was there. John chapter 1, verse 1 talks about in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he spoke everything into existence. There is this Christological theology that says in the New Testament and the Old Testament that everything that has ever existed in earth, all of creation, is because God willed it and Jesus spoke it. He had power and authority and dominion over everything that was created, and not only that... Everything, and don't miss this, everything that has ever been created was created for Him. For Him. Why is He first in rank and status and priority? Because everything was made and exists to point to Him and His glory and exalt Him. This means that as you and I, as the crown of creation, you were created by Jesus, for Jesus. You were created by him for a purpose don't miss this. There's so many of us in our culture, and maybe you're one of these people, we walk around wondering, like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Like, what's the goal? What's this? And we're, we're left kind of wondering, trying to figure things out. And Jesus says, you were made by me for a purpose. And what is that purpose? You were created for me. In other words, you were created, you were made not so that life can be about you for your happiness and your goodness. You were made so that your life can reflect the glory and the goodness that is Jesus and exalted him for all of eternity you are made for him and then paul verse 17 he says this and i love this this is theological statement here he says he is what he is before all things and in him all things hold together he is before all things in other words Jesus is the priority. Jesus is the priority. Life is not about us. Life is about him. Rick Warren, in his book, Purpose Driven Life, it's like, the, like the, 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 the best-selling, like the only book that's ever sold more in history is the Bible. Like this book is like that popular, but he says this about this very same, in chapter one, he says, life is not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your own peace of mind, or even your own happiness. It's far greater than even your own family, your own career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Jesus is the priority. So let me just ask you, when you think about the decisions and the choices that you make every single day, when you think about the affections of your heart, the obedience that you have to scripture, when you think about how you handle and use the gifts you have serving in the local church, when you think about how you spend your time, your days, your weeks, your months, your years, your centuries, your decades, when you think about how you handle the financial resources that God has entrusted you with, would you say that all of them are based on the principle of Jesus being first, of Jesus being the priority in your life. Now, let's go back to what Paul said, because I said that it's not first in order, right? Because I know it might seem minor, but this is significant. Let's say that if we say like Jesus is first, he's first in my life, he's the priority in my life, he's first in order in my life, then what we could do is we could make a list of all of our priorities, we would put up a piece of paper and we would say Jesus is important, he's first. So I'm going to write number 1, Jesus. Number 2, marriage. Number 3, kids. Number 4, career or health or whatever you want to do. And I'd begin to make this list of different priorities in my life. Paul is not saying it's in rank It's not in order, because what happens is, the danger is that you and I, when we begin to make this, Jesus is important, he's the number one priority. What happens is, we begin to do what the church in Colossae did, is we begin to kind of compartmentalize our faith. We begin to say, okay, like, I checked off my box, I spent my time with Jesus at the beginning of the day, now I can move on to my career or my marriage and focus on those and do it the way I want to do it. I, I spent my time at church this week, now I can go about and live my life the way I want to, because I put him first. I gave Jesus my 10% at the beginning of the month so all of the rest of my resources are all mine to do as I wish. When we make him the priority and rank and order, let's be honest, he doesn't always have authority in every other area of our lives. Here's what Paul is saying. Jesus is not at the top of the list that's on the paper. Jesus is the paper that your list is written on. He is the paper that every single priority and thing in your life is held together by. And it might seem minor, but that's a big difference in the way we live. So here's the question. Is Jesus first in every area of your life? Does he have dominion and authority and power and everything? Or are there areas that you're holding on to? Are, you know, is it like, well, like Jesus, you have my Sundays until the game starts. Or Jesus, you you have my weekends, but at work, I have to be a totally different personality, a different person, and I can't be that nice. I can't do what you're asking me to do. Jesus, you can have the beginnings of my checkbook, but you can't have the rest because I've got my own dreams and my own plans. Jesus, you can have this part of my marriage, but you can't have all of my marriage because I have wants and I have needs and I like to be selfish when it comes to this. Is Jesus the first, the priority in every single area of your life? Why why does this matter? Because you will never, you will never experience the complete fullness of joy that you were created to know until Jesus is first in everything. You will never, I'm going to say it again in case you missed it. You will never experience the complete fullness of joy that you were created to know until Jesus is first in everything. Is he first in your home? Is he first in how you spend your time? Does he have dominion and authority over it? Is he first in the decisions and choices you make on entertainment, in your career? Is he first in your marriage? Is he first in your lifestyle? Is he first in the way you raise your kids? And don't miss this, is he first in how you spend your money and your finances? You're like, I came out of left field. I don't want let me just unpack this. I've said this before, and many of you know this. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle and think about money. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle and think about money. Money is not just money, it is a spiritual matter. And it reveals more about our heart than anything else in our lives. The way we handle money, the way we use it as a resource for God's kingdom or for our own kingdom reveals more about what we believe than any other external, outward spiritual discipline that we might be able to offer. Why? Because where your treasure goes, your heart goes. And I know I say that, and you're like, I don't agree with you, Adam, and you're, you're mad at me right now, and you're frustrated. Let me just say, don't be mad at me. Be mad at Jesus, because I didn't say that like Matthew chapter let me just let me just show you who you can be mad at if you don't like that statement Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 through 21 Jesus says this he says do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal and let me just say some of us that's how we spend our whole lives storing up physical things on this earth because we think we will find happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction in those things. But remember, you will never find complete joy because you were created until you put Jesus first. You will never find create, complete joy in anything and everything. And he continues, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? <laughs> because Jesus says, for where you're what? Say this with me. You need to own this. For where your where your treasure is, there your don't be mad at me. Be mad at Jesus. But your beliefs don't change the truth of Scripture. Where your treasure is, your heart is. And here's what I want you to see. This, this together series, this together campaign is not about money. It is about so much more. It is about what we believe about the local church, the hope of the world when it is bold and faithful to the original calling that Jesus had for it. This campaign is about what we believe about the mission that God has given us as a unique local expression of that global church that Jesus instituted 2,000 years ago. It's about what we believe about lost people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. It's about what we believe as a church about stewarding effectively the resources that we have and not paying interest on tons and tons of debt. It's about a lot of things, but before and above everything else, the Together Campaign is not just about money. It is about your spiritual growth. Why? Because where your treasure goes, your heart goes. Listen. God does not need your money or my money, but he wants your heart. He wants to be first. He wants to be preeminent. And he wants to have dominion and control and be the priority over everything on the paper. A couple years ago, and I think I've told you guys some of this before, but i i have a I have an older truck and I, and I love my older truck it It's like two hundred and forty thousand miles now, but a couple years ago, when it first hit around two hundred thousand miles, I started having some problems with the truck and I, I'm not like a car guy, so like I'll probably say this wrong and you'll come find me afterwards in the hallway and tell me i said carburetor or something, was not a carburetor, I don't know, I don't know. But just bear with me here. Like it, I hit 200,000 miles and the car, the truck started having these issues. Like before 200,000 miles, I could have been at a stoplight and if I punched the gas, like I could just spin the tires. Like not that I did that, but like I could spin the tires and it, it would kind of jump off the starting line. And it was, it was fun and it was fast and it had torque and horsepower and I could haul stuff. But when I, when I hit 200,000 miles, this weird thing started happening with the engine where sometimes it would take off. And other times when I would hit the gas it would accelerate like a Honda Prius loaded with teenagers like it just it just like like an old person getting out of the bath like it just didn't move very quickly and I took it to the the, the auto mechanic place and said I don't know what's wrong with it it's this this, this is what it's doing and, and and this is where I'll mess it up but basically they come back to me and they're like hey your engine is a v8 it has eight cylinders I know that much right and they said basically when it's doing this there are moments where your entire engine is just running on four cylinders. Now, did the truck still run? Yes. Did it get me from point A to point B? Yes. But was it running at its full potential? Not even close. Some of you You've been chasing after Jesus for a while. But it doesn't feel like you're running at your full potential. Could it be that you've been making Jesus important, not the priority? You've given him control of certain areas, but not everything. And in my experience, one of the last areas that we hold on to is the very place that drives our heart. So here's a question. What would it look like for you to make God the priority in how you invest your resources? And some of you are already doing this. Thank you. Together is not about $7 million. It's about making God a priority in your heart because your heart goes where your treasure goes. And so here's what I'm gonna ask for you. Over the next week or so, would you just reflect on this question? That's my ask. Just spend some time asking the Lord, what would, what would look differently if I made you the priority? And then secondly, in the, uh, the booklet when you came in, there was this thing called a commitment card. And I don't want you to fill anything out with this this week or next week. I just want you to take this commitment card home and put it somewhere where you will see it on a regular basis. Put it inside your Bible. Put it, unless you don't read the Bible very often, don't put it there. But like put it inside your Bible. Put it, you know, like on your nightstand. Put it in your car somewhere where you can see it. Put it on your mirror. For some of you, put it in the fridge Like as you go there. I don't know. Wherever you happen to be a lot, put it there. And what I want it to be is I want it to be this kind of physical reminder for you to begin praying now. What God is going to lead you to do on February 25th when we end this campaign. That's my challenge. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for Paul and the church in Colossae as we learn that you are first. Jesus, you don't settle for seconds. You are preeminent. You are first. Just in this moment, as we continue praying, maybe you're here today, and I've been talking about salvation, maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time, but if you were being honest in this moment right now, you would say that there is an area of your life, a sphere, a, a hideout, a, a, a thing in your life that you are holding on to and keeping back from putting Jesus first in that area. I just wonder if you'd be willing to admit that and confess that today. Jesus, you are not first in everything because X. At all of our campuses, if that's you, just in this bold confession moment, would you just raise your hand? Hands all over the room. If your hand is raised, I just wanna give you a second or two to confess that to Jesus. Jesus, we confess that there are areas of our lives where we are selfish, where we hold on to our wants, Just like the church in Colossae, we we piece together things and values and beliefs that we think will make us happy. Today, God, we put you first. As we continue praying in this moment, maybe you are here today and God is not first in your life because you have never surrendered to him. Let me just unpack the beauty of the good news. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the son of God was born He lived a perfect life for 33 years until he went to a brutal, painful, humiliating, horrendous death for you because of your selfishness. Because of your sin, your mistakes, your failures, your, all those things you hate about yourself, he went to his death for you to pay the punishment that you deserve. But three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating hell, to have new life. And anyone in scripture, it says anyone, anyone who calls out to him and believes in him will have new life for all of eternity and will avoid separation from God forever and ever and ever. And maybe today, that's the thing you need to decide, to put him first in your salvation. If that's you at all of our campuses, would you just boldly raise your hand? Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I see your hand. I see your hand. If your hand is raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. Jesus, come into my life, Make me new. Be my king and my Lord. I surrender all to you.